0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to be reading and studying out of Joshua. And there's some there's some things here that we're going to eventually get to. So if you will find your place in Joshua chapter one, we're going to come there in just a moment. But the first thing that I wanted to go to is going to be in the New Testament. And it's going to be in the book of John chapter 17. So if you'll find Joshua one and John 17, I wanted to talk to you. Along this line where God says to Joshua, there I will be with you. And I I want you to understand that. And so I want to begin by making this statement that truth is not the same thing as facts. I want you to understand that. I want you to know that truth and facts are not the same thing. And I believe to the detriment of many theologians and many Christians, their faith has wavered and weakened because they have tried to have faith in regard to facts. And facts is the enemy of faith. And you need to reckon with this and understand it. The fair Greek definition of New Testament words defines truth this way. The truth as taught in the Christian religion respecting God and the execution of his purposes through Christ and respecting the duties of man, opposing alike the superstitions of the Gentiles and the invention of the Jews and the corrupt opinions and precepts of false teachers, even as they may exist among Christians. So I want to go through a few scriptures with you and I want you to understand how truth and facts are different. And they're not to be confused as being the same because one will attack your faith and the other will build your faith. And so in John 17 verse 17, Jesus makes this statement in his prayer as he's asking his father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth as you have sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And so truth is God's word. Truth is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And truth is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. And so we have to understand that in John chapter 18, one chapter over verse 36 Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And there's a very interesting exchange here. And Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered. Now listen to this carefully. You say that I am a king. To this end I was born. And for this cause I came into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. People that are not of the truth do not hear the voice of Jesus. Now there are people that might hear the facts of Christianity. They might know the facts of a present reality, but knowing the facts of a present reality and hearing the voice of Jesus Christ are two different things that we need to completely understand. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? That was a great question. The sad thing is, is Pilate turned and walked away before he let Jesus answer it. It would have been good for him to stay to hear the answer. Now I want you to go to John chapter 8. Jesus also again here mentioning the truth and its power. So remember that the truth is God's word. That Jesus sanctifies himself for the truth of his disciples. Jesus says he is the truth. And furthermore Jesus said that those who are of the truth hear his voice. Anybody can hear facts. But those that are of the truth hear the voice of Jesus. There's a lot of people who have come into Christianity on the basis of facts. Not so much on the basis of truth. They have become religious in their Christianity. But maybe never have been born again because they've heard the voice of Jesus. So in John chapter 8 you're going to see this again. In verse 30, he spoke these words, and many believed on him. And today, there are many that believe on Jesus. But notice the belief of this and the statement of Jesus. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. We might have made them deacons and elders in the church. But not Jesus, because he says this. If you continue in my word... And what is truth? The word of God. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What does Jesus want? Modern day evangelism, modern day Christianity, and I would say modern day in regards to really decades long now, has really rejoiced to have somebody say a sinner's prayer with them. And we have celebrated that sinner's prayer that somebody has said is like, oh, it's all done now. And yet Jesus was not just content that all of these people believed on him because he knew men. He knew man. And he says that if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We oftentimes go to the lost and present our gospel to them in, in the fact that I want to share the truth with you. Because if I can share the truth with you, basically what we're doing is sharing facts. If I can share the truth with you, then the truth will set you free. But here's my question to you. and According to the scripture, and you can be looking at it again. According to the scripture, who does the truth come to? And who does the truth give freedom to? It is the disciples of Jesus. The disciples. Read this again. He spoke these words. And many believed on him. Verse 30. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word. Then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Wow, just that very statement irritated these Jews that had just believed on him. How quick, how fickle is man. They answered him, we're of Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. Isn't that ignorance? How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say to you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And they began to argue with him more. And Jesus deals with this about Abraham, saying, If you really were of Abraham, you wouldn't try to kill me. Here are these guys. That are believing on him and they want to kill him. Amazing. There are people in our churches that kill the life of Jesus all the time. When they see that life in you, when they see that life in someone else, they might get jealous about it or irritated about it. You watch somebody that is really walking by faith. They've heard the voice of Jesus, which is truth. And they begin to walk in it, and it will irritate the religious to such a degree that they will seek to kill the life of Jesus in that believer. And so you and I must understand that there is a difference between truth And facts. It was facts that caused the nation of Israel to stumble at the promised land. Because it was a fact that the the, the giants and the fortified cities in that promised land were strong and well able to defend themselves against the feeble Jews. It was a fact that you cannot feed 5,000 men with just a little fish and bread. That is a fact, right? But it wasn't truth. It was a fact that Lazarus was dead, but it wasn't the truth. And many people are living their lives on the basis of facts, which is destroying their faith. And they think they have a relationship with God, but they never hear or they don't hear the voice of Jesus and his truth. And Jesus wants to give freedom to. To his disciples, those that are continuing in his word, not those who attend church or visit church or visit a Christian religious society, but they hear God. And because they hear God, their lives have been really upset by the Lord. Numbers of theologians today are becoming atheists. The progressive and emergent church movement and others have been greatly distorted by facts, not by truth. The facts of culture, literature, study, men's ideas, that they cannot hear God and end up not believing in miracles, divine intervention, and the supernatural phenomenon we call the Bible. Many professors in our universities today spend most of their time explaining away the miracles of God. Because facts cannot support it. But the truth believes the miracles of God. And this is so important. Multitudes sit in our churches and never hear the truth. They are not disciples of Jesus. They do not hear Jesus. They do not obey Jesus. We've watched this during the epidemic with COVID. One third of evangelicals left the church. They live their life based upon facts. By facts, they live and decided and functioned their life. Are hearing Jesus, the truth. Did we live by the truth or did we live by facts? Multitudes are not free because they're not the disciples of Jesus. And therefore, do not hear the truth that sets men free. And Jesus equated the truth as being himself. Verse 36, if the son therefore shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. This is the freedom that God wants to give us. But the problem is, is that many are still entangled with Moses in the old covenant. They are unable to follow Jesus and belong to him or his church. They do not live by the voice of Jesus, but by their own rationale and their own discernment. They're stuck in the garden as Adam and Eve. I want to be God and do it my own way. Or like Cain. I know God wants one thing. But I will offer him the best that I can give him. And he should be satisfied with that. And God is not satisfied with that. God wants his offering. A genuine spiritual awakening. A genuine born again experience. Always produces Bible believing Jesus hearing Christians. And that's what discipleship is. Living in Canaan is letting Jesus live his life in us rather than letting the flesh live in us. And this is the difference between truth and facts. And those who hear Jesus can grasp the fact and the truth of God's grace. Because that is a revelation of God. In Joshua chapter 1, I would like for you to listen over some of these things because I think this is just absolutely beautiful that God is going to tell us. You're going to read about truth and you're going to see the difference between facts. If you remember during the days of Moses, he sent 12 spies into the land of, of Canaan, right? Those 12 spies come back. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who were in favor with God. The other ten spies brought up an evil report. Now, it wasn't a bunch of lies, though the lies that they espoused, which were evil, was this. We are not able to go take it because they did not reckon upon their God. But the things that they said about that land were actually factual and very, very true. And nothing changed by the time that Moses dies. And Joshua now must lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Those giants are still there. Those cities are still there. They're preparing for the invasion of the Jewish people. They're more fortified than ever. And yet, here are people that are going to go on the basis of truth. And not so much the basis of facts. And so you see this in Joshua 1. God is encouraging his servant He says in verse two, now, therefore, Moses is dead. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land, which I do give to them. Do you hear the truth of that? I give it to them. That is the truth. And he says this in verse three, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. That have I given to you, as I said to Moses. Now, here's the problem. Today, we like to read things like that. And we read it as though it's a fact. And you hear people maybe in Pentecostal movements, particularly in the charismatic movement, where we like to go around and say this now. And we like to make these boastful claims that everywhere the sole of my foot walks, God gives it to me. That's not what God told Joshua. God told Joshua, I'm going to give you parameters upon which your inheritance is going to be. And he listed in verse 4. That's where it is. And then God says in verse 5, there I shall be with you. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. And so what is God telling Joshua? That listen, there I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you in that promised land. And wherever the sole of your foot goes on the parameters and the dimensions and the borders that I describe in verse 4, I give all of that to you. But today you've got... Christians that go around presumptuously claiming that everywhere the sole of my foot goes, the Lord gives it to me based upon a fact that is misunderstood. Joshua went on the basis of truth. God spoke to him and he heard it. And God told him where to walk. And God told him what the inheritance was. And God gave him the authority to go and take that inheritance. We as Christians must be very careful when we make statements with a world watching Of what we are going to do or we're not going to do. When we say we're going to do something. We better have the direction of our God in doing it. Or it causes Christianity to become a mockery. Because we boast about things that we cannot perform. God is telling Joshua, I will be with you in Canaan. I'm not giving you the wilderness. If you turn around and go back to Egypt, I'm not with you there. I'm not going to give you Egypt as your inheritance. And you can go walk all over Egypt with the sole of your feet. And I'm not giving it to you. My promise is Canaan. And what does he promise us as a church? What does he promise you as a home? What does he promise you for your family? And these are the things that we have to understand. God caused fear to rise up in the hearts of the people in Canaan. Chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. This is 40 years ago. How he dried it up for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. I mean, we've heard about all these things. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did we, there remain any more courage in any man. These giants are terrified of you. And it's because of you. And this is why they're afraid of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The Canaanites knew that. They knew that. And so the Israelites were going on the basis of facts when the truth was they've already melted before you. Wow. In verse 24 it says, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Chapter 3 verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua this day. Will I begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel. That they may know that as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. Verse 10. Joshua said. Hereby you shall know. That the living God is among you. And that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into Jordan. And so God is with you. Who's going to drive them out? God's going to drive them out. That's the important thing. And this is the declaration of truth that God is going to do in their life. I want you to go back to chapter 1, verse 11. Joshua is telling the people to get ready because we're about to cross over Jordan. The word Jordan means death or descender. In verse 11, it says, Joshua says to the people, Pass through the host and command the people. saying, prepare you the victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan. <clears throat> some, some translations would say, In the early part of the third day, you shall pass over this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess it. God is giving you this. I want you to go to chapter 5 of Joshua and I want you to see this in verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua, he's crossed over now into the Canaan, when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there was there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose your shoe from off your foot, for the place whereon you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. I want to tie all of this together to you or with you for just a moment. And I want you to understand the beautiful, wonderful things that we are told here. The Jews in Moses' day did not enter the land of Canaan because of unbelief. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is the spirit-filled, victorious life of the believer who has been delivered out of Egypt, out of their bondage, out of their sin, and who is walking with Moses. This is discipleship. They're walking with Moses. They pass through the sea with Moses, but Moses could not bring them in. Joshua is going to bring them in. And the the spies in Moses' day robbed the faith of the people on the basis of facts. Which is so common in the history of man. The promised land was already defeated by God. The reputation of God went through the land. The people were terrified of God. The God who could part the Red Sea. The God who could overthrow kings. Our hearts have melted before you. We know he's the God of the earth and the heavens. He had already won the promised land for them. But they had refused to enter in. And I want to say this to you, beloved, that God has already won the battle with your old life. He has already won the battle over your sin and your limitations. But how weak are so many of the people in our churches that can't seem to get out of the wilderness into the promise? How weak are they to confine themselves or resign themselves to the fact. I'll never be free of this. I'll never overcome this. I don't know how to break this bondage from my life. When the truth of the matter, not the facts. But when the truth of the matter is. Jesus says be my disciple. So you can hear my voice and believe the word of God. And I will set you free. I will do it. You won't do it. But that's the truth. But too many people that sit in our churches don't hear the truth. They live bound by the facts. And they don't go to the Jordan River. And they refuse to cross it. Because they think there's no way I can overcome those things in my life. And they set themselves to defeat after defeat after defeat. And isn't it interesting as this is a type of the victorious Christian life. Coming into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. A life of joy, a life of celebration, a life of excitement, which is what God wants Christians to live. That isn't it interesting that Joshua says early on the third day, we're crossing Jordan. What does that mean? Do you understand it? I'll be crucified, but on the third day, I'm rising from the dead. I'm going to descend into the dead. I'm going to descend into the grave. I'm going to go into the lower parts of the earth. But on the third day, I'm coming up out of that grave. That's what Joshua telling the Israelites. Listen, we're going to do battle with death. And we're going to go in three days, descend into the Jordan River. And on the third day, we're coming across it into our life. And God's gonna give it to us. And people of the truth hear that. But how few are the church people in our churches that have this confidence? They're terrified of their flesh, they're terrified of their besetting sins, they're terrified of their weakness to follow God. When all along God has been trying to tell us over and over and over again, you don't have the power to follow me. That's what grace is for. And you don't have the ability to defeat your enemies. That's what grace is for. And so God wants to give it. But yet we come to church week after week and we sing and we pray and we say all of these wonderful things about Jesus and eternal life and the provisions of God. But we quickly, like Moses and Israel, retreat back into the wilderness and maybe even want to go back into Egypt. What is the use what is the use? I keep falling into sin over and over and over again. And we live as though the gods of Canaan are more powerful than the God who saves. And God is more than able to save us. If you were to remove God from most of the churches and Christians lives today, their life would continue the same without any noticeable difference whatsoever. Because God is rarely at, at action in their life because of Their unbelief. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. The church at Sardis. I don't have time to go there. But it says you have the reputation of life. But I say you're dead. I say you're dead. And it is possible for believers. Christians. Maybe I'm saying that in the context of the believers in John 8. Where we believed on him. But we have no life in us. And we would soon turn on Jesus Christ. The moment he makes a requirement of me. I got to go to church. I got to go to prayer meeting. I've got to to walk after God. I've got to give tithes and offerings. I've got to help people. I've got to forgive those. I've got to love my enemies. I've got to do good to those. Forget it. Because we believe on certain things about Jesus, but when He makes demands on our life, eat my flesh and my blood, forget this. And we begin to turn on Jesus Christ. The victory is the walk of faith. And there God shall be with us. And I want to give you you're there. It is the life of faith. It is the ground of faith. And when you walk on the ground of faith. There I shall be with you. The Bible says in Colossians. As you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. So walk ye in him. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2 says. That we received him by grace through faith. So beloved that's how you live. By grace through faith. And there God will be with you. And he will overthrow the giants and the strong cities and the chariots of iron. He'll tear them all down. He will give you the land. Joshua encountered this man as he was near the city of Jericho. And he comes to the man. And he says, are you us? Are you against us? And he says, neither. I am not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. This is the land that God has promised. I'm here to give it to you. You can walk with me if you choose. Be strong and of good courage. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Let's go and watch me take the land. And beloved, that's what Jesus wants to say to you. I will take the land. I will put your flesh down, your sins down, the strongholds in your life. I will break them. Jesus will do that. But we have to be disciples. It's not casual Sunday morning visits to God. But it is a life of discipleship where you hear him. You actually hear him speak to you. Those that know the truth hear my voice. And you hear God speaking. Because what does it do to hear God speak? And it does this. That that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the voice of God or the word of God. And so it builds our faith and God builds our faith. And God takes over and God delivers us. I'll tell you a few stories about this God fighting our enemies on every side because it is absolutely true. I remember years ago when we built the building next door, and I've shared this with some of you. We built the building next door. We were so happy to have it. We started a church with nothing. We're not a part of a denomination or anything. We had no backing, no money, no denomination to help us secure a loan with anything. We just had a handful of people. We were able to purchase the four acres. We were able to eventually buy the building, and we erected the building. We are so excited. The first service of it. On a Sunday night, I had a group of men tell me, I'd like to meet with you in your office. And so right after service, I'm supposing that they want to just go into the office and pray and celebrate and thank God for such an achievement. But I went into a room of men that I thought were my friends, and they were suddenly the greatest, meanest men I had ever encountered in my life. They were all over me. And the reason they were all upset, except for maybe two was the fact that the sound booth in that room was two feet off center. That was it. It's two, You said that soundboard was going to be in the middle of the room. They knew this from the day we began to build where it was going to be. And I was so mad. I was ready to jump up and fight them. I mean, I was ready to just dig into them. But then all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with fear because I thought these are eight men. These are eight families. These are people who tithe and give. If they leave the church, how are we going to afford this? We have a loan that we have to pay. And I was suddenly overwhelmed with fear. These facts were destroying me. I got up and I walked out of the room without saying a word because I was overcome. And I went into the sanctuary and I knelt down and I began to pray. And I couldn't pray. I just wept and I cried and I was scared and I just wanted to quit. And I just laid there in the front of the church just before God. And all of a sudden, there was a surge of help that the Holy Spirit gave me. I began to hear the truth. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And the Holy Spirit said this to me, is this your church or mine? Did you build it or did I? Because if it's yours, then you're going to have to take care of it. If it's yours, you're going to have to pay for it. But if it's mine, I will take care of it. And I said, Lord, it is yours. I didn't build this. And furthermore, those men in that office are yours. And you handle it. I'm not going to fool with them. This is all yours. I want nothing to do with it. I just want to take care of you. And I went back to pray. I wasn't crying. I I was happy. I was joyful. It was over as far as I was concerned. And a hand grabbed me and threw me back. Literally. And I turned around knowing somebody was there. And I turned around to brace for it. And nobody was there. And the Lord spoke to me. I have handled it. This was a test. To see if you did this. Or if I. If it was yours. Or if it was mine. And I walked back into that room. And those eight men. Call as a witness to this. Those eight men fell upon me weeping. We do not know what came over us. Please forgive us. And God. My Lord, with his sword drawn, met me in that sanctuary in a moment of my fear. And he wasn't for me or against them. He was there to take over. And I wanted him to take over. And he did. And I've watched this this many times. There was a local pastor in town. Great pastor, great church. When we started this church, he was very much against me. And I went and made an appointment with him and asked him why he was against me. I said, You have 1,200 people in your church. I've got 12 in mine. What kind of a threat am I to you? And I said, Is this whole city one for Jesus? Is everybody here a believer that has a church to go to? And he says, No. And he says, I'm really not against you. I know I talk about you, but I'm just kidding. And I said, I'm not kidding. And I asked him if he would please stop, it's hard enough. And I said, I believe God has called me and I'm doing what I believe God wants me to do. And I'm living by the truth. And I would appreciate your respect because I respect you. And he was very much my elder. And so the time went by and he never stopped. And I received word that he was in the hospital with a brain aneurysm. And when I received word that he was in the hospital with a brain aneurysm, I began to pray for him. And the Lord said, he touched this. And that's why he's there. I want you to go pray for him and I'll heal him. And I went to the hospital. His wife's in there. His daughter's in there and his son's in there. And they're both grown kids. And I walked into that ICU room and opened up the curtains. And his wife looked at me and said, what are you doing here? I said, God sent me to pray over him so that he might be healed. But if you don't want me to, I'll leave. But if you want him to come off of that table. Then let me pray for him. And I laid my hands on that precious man. And I rebuked that aneurysm. And the next day he was home. It wasn't because of me. But it was because somebody. Has come into my life. Who's taken over. And I believe him to do it. With my own life. And everything else I may ever face. Because I am determined to live by the truth. And whatever this world might experience. And whatever might come. And there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. Because there's not many disciples. There's just a lot of people living by facts. But when those that hear the voice of God. We will stand and we will serve and we will reap a harvest until we die or until the rapture comes. Because nothing will stop this church of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. When the facts speak otherwise, that's the truth. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your power, your authority, and your glory. And that you love us with an everlasting love. God, I thank you and celebrate you today. That you are the God who takes over. And Lord when we live in grace. And faith. There. You are with us. And Lord truly you will take that ground. For it is yours to begin with. And the whole earth is yours. We magnify you this morning. And celebrate you. And pray Father. Give us a, a, a an ever progressive entrance into your presence today. All the way up into the prayer meeting tonight. Where, Father, we have a world that is in chaos. We have precious loved ones that are suffering from sickness. And because we love you and love them, we want to come here tonight in your presence and pray for miracles. In Jesus' name.